Hey everyone, welcome to Punkcast. My name is William Maxwell. I'm a student of Web3 and the owner of Punk9527. CryptoPunks are 10,000 uniquely generated characters stored permanently on the Ethereum blockchain. No punk is the same. This is a show dedicated to celebrating the punks behind the punk. My hope for this podcast is that we capture the essence of the punk culture, elevate the brand and the individual behind the punk. One last thing, projects discussed on the show is not financial advice. Crypto and NFTs are a volatile and risky asset class. Please always do your own research. Other than that, let's go. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Punkcast. Today we've got a cool looking Hong Kong based punk, Punk 1059 with three addies, front hair, earring and big shades. In real life, he's a DJ, music producer, and also building Web3 projects with Animoca Brands, currently working on Mochaverse. Please welcome the one and only DJ Soy to the show. DJ, how are you? Doing good, Maxwell. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Been uh, wanting to have this chat for a while, man. It's always good to find uh, other punks based in Hong Kong as well. So uh, there's not many of us floating around. But uh, how have you been, man? Yeah, I've been good. It was good to catch yourself and Dap Punk at one of the Mochaverse in real life meetups. So yeah, great to be having this chat with you. Yeah, no, thanks for having us gate crashing and uh, getting free food and drinks, mate. Always down for that. Right, so, so you've been traveling quite a bit, but you were in New York recently as well, right? Like, how was that? Yeah, it was great. We were out there at the NFT NYC conference. So yeah, just meeting some partners and clients, especially for Mochaverse as well. So Mochaverse is a project that is, is uh, built from Animoca Brands, and it's our kind of first PFP collection where we're looking to, you know, be that interoperable layer uh, for our whole portfolio of 400 companies. So yeah, it was a lot of meeting a lot of partners and different chains and, you know, talking about cool collaborations across the group. Awesome. Mate, mate we're going to have to do a bit of a deep dive in Mochaverse. Admittedly, I probably um, did buy one, but uh, would love to sort of go a little bit deeper into the ecosystem with you. Um, did you did you manage to catch up with the PunkDAO guys at tri- with Tribute Labs? Yeah, I wasn't able to make it actually to that meetup, but uh, I think that particular day we had six meetings and then you know five events in the evening, so it was just a lot of Ubers trying to get around to see everyone. Um, I think I stopped by the Punch Brunks for like thirty minutes, managed to say hi to a couple of people, then had to jet off. But uh, jet off, uh, man. Yeah, I can imagine. Must be super busy. Uh, it was hectic sort of last year as well, but. Imagine be even more so if you uh, if you're trying to push Mochaverse, mate. Um, well, well, thanks for joining Punkcast, man. I, it'd be really great to um, really unpack your personal story and obviously your punk story. But m- maybe we could just start with just an introduction to, I guess, your background, where you grew up, and you know, it'd be even interesting to understand how you got to Hong Kong as well. Sure. Yeah. So um, just a little bit about myself. I was born in Canada, in Toronto. I uh, came back to Hong Kong when I was pretty young. So. I was based here since I was four years old, so I've been here most of my life. Did a quick stint in the UK for university, but uh, shortly after came back to Hong Kong, started working. So yeah, I started my career in management consulting, working with you know fintechs, banks, insurance companies, doing you know digital strategy, finance transformation. At that time, you know a lot of corporations were looking to kind of move from a, a pretty archaic old kind of architecture into this. Kind of new web two space so everyone was trying to look at you know software as a solution and cloud services you know that whole kind of traditional migration and then naturally you know started working with a lot of institutions that were looking at blockchain how how do they utilize this new technology into things like healthcare um, insurance supply chain shipping logistics so really interesting conversations and that's my first sort of interaction with blockchain yeah, and then more and more clients started looking to the space with regulation, you know, uh, adoption. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of where I started to learn about um, this whole technology, and this is, I guess, why I'm here today. Yeah. So what kind of so management consulting? What what kind of projects were you working on for these guys? Are they sort of transformation projects, or um... yeah, you, you look at these big corporations that that are like multinationals, you know, have millions, billions of dollars of revenue, you know, global footprint footprint and presence. But actually some of their backend is 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 pretty messy, right? Um, a lot of them are maybe were run on spreadsheets. A lot of things were menu processes and operations. 
So a, a lot of the work that we were doing is looking at, hey, where do we cut the slack in some of these processes? And how do we reduce some of these manual processes and systemize uh, their workflows that they were working with day to day? And how do we help you know, it, it make it more efficient, essentially, to let people do their jobs? Got it. Basically, so you were the the, the guy that went in and cut costs and uh, fired a lot of people. Basically, <laughs> um, that wasn't my 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 mandate, but um, no, it was more like, um, yeah, how how do we make people's lives better? Uh, you know, for example, we went into one of the banks. Uh, I had a client out in the Philippines, you know, one of the top banks there. Some of their account opening processes for customers took up to like an hour, hour and a half, and it was just the because there's a lot of paperwork, right? And you know, the customer has to sit there whilst the bank teller is trying to print out forms and the system is, you know, lagging. So a lot of these things, you know, how, how do we optimize and how do we improve the customer experience? Yeah, much needed. But I, I got to say, living in Hong Kong, it feels like a lot of companies still love the paper-based manual stuff as well, right? So uh, definitely much needed. That's super cool, man. And then, And then how did you get yourself into DJing as well? Like, which which part of your life journey did you start start that process? Yeah, so it's an interesting one. So growing up, I was I was musical. So I learned you know how to play the piano when I was a kid. You know, very typical kind of Chinese hobby. Um, <laughs> kind of instructed by my parents at a young age to do that, which I totally kind of thank them for today. But I I started you know exploring rock bands and stuff in high school. You know, I had some bands with mates. And then when I started working and consulting, we would always go out to this bar in, in, in Central and there would be a DJ playing and he would be actually on vinyl. Um, so it would be, yeah, pretty interesting seeing him every night and how is he making these sounds? How is he making these transitions between songs? So I would just kind of stand behind him when he's DJing and just kind of see what he's doing and shadow him. And yeah, eventually it, I just kind of, went on eBay and bought my own little controller thing, watched a lot of YouTube videos and, and it kind of went from there. So yeah, it was just kind of self, self-taught. Which, uh, which nightclubs were these? Was this, was this like Vola or something? So it was this little shisha bar called Vice. I don't know if you've ever been. It was next to Alhambra uh, in, in that building where they had all the shisha bars. But um, yeah, it, it was a really good place. Because I actually started playing there uh, after a while, after I started, you know, practicing, improving, they gave me a chance to just throw like mini parties with my friends there. I would DJ. And then, yeah, I started playing some of the bigger clubs around like Play at that time. Um, oh, yeah, I remember Play. Yeah, Play cool. and then um, some of the other nightclubs around town. Um, but yeah, it, it was a fun, fun thing to do for a bit, but the schedule just... Uh, it's not that sustainable because you're playing a lot of late nights and, but I mean, crypto's pretty much the same. So I know, no Jeez, tell me about it. And, um, are you still, you know, DJing for some places at the moment or, uh, you sort of given that up? So yeah, I, I do Sunday brunch now at Soho house. <laughs> so, ah, cool. Yeah, I do the afternoon gig, which is a super chill spot to play and kind of more low key. Okay. I might have to swing past and, um, and, uh, and hang out. Um, I haven't been on a Sunday, I admit, um, been most of the other nights. I'm actually heading there tonight. They've got a Beef Wellington special on tonight. So, um, right. But uh, yeah, I'm going to hit that one up. All right, cool. <laughs> so I digress. Yeah, so, so you're right. I mean, crypto right now, it's, uh, it's, it's gone on a bit of a rampage with all these meme coins. Are you, uh, are you getting involved in any of that? Totally. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> I'm a degen. So I think I made my first proper bag on a coin called Baby Dogecoin. Not sure if you've heard of it. It was uh, no. it was during DeFi summer in uh, 2020 or 2021. But yeah, it was um, that was kind of my first taste of like crazy gains, and I, I think I, I just got hooked after that. What, what what did you get on that? How many X's? I think at one point it went up to 10x, and then I didn't sell the top, and I sold around 6x. But I mean, it was really really good. Yeah, really good return. Maybe why don't we unpack your your journey into crypto then? So you went through traditional management consulting, you know, got, got some really good skill sets out of that, did a bit of DJing on the side, found your way into sort of Animoca. But 
what was your first foray into crypto? Like how long ago was that? So, yeah, I think um, through my work, I was exploring, you know, what, what this technology was and, you know, what everyone was so interested about the space and all these corporates and, and investors were looking into it. And I thought, okay, this is probably something I should keep my eye on. And it wasn't until the COVID dip. So I think it was around April, 2020, that I saw this as a massive opportunity to get in. And I was like, okay, it's probably now or never. I got to dip my toes in and I've done enough research. And I think that this is going to be here for a while. So I think when I first bought Ethereum, it was around maybe like $150. Um, so I thought, okay, I'll just buy some. I had a mate, an ex-colleague who, who told me during the first kind of bull run up that he was playing around with crypto kitties. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go in and buy some cats and try, you know, uh, mate them and see what I get and see if I can flip it for a profit. Of course, this was like way past the boom of crypto kitties. So uh, I think by then it was pretty saturated. But yeah, that was kind of my first step into NFTs and crypto. And it was just more experimentation. So, so CryptoKitties was your first NFT? Like, wh when was that? Like, was it April 2020? Yeah, it was around that time. So it was way past their popularity, but it was, you know, yeah, my first dip into the space. Yeah, but early for N NFTs, um, for sure, because that didn't run until the back end of the, uh, 2020. So, and, and so your first piece of crypto that you bought was ETH? You didn't, you didn't go through the Bitcoin route at all? Yeah, so I think at that time I was using the Dapper wallet on ETH because you could only buy CryptoKitties with the Dapper wallet. So somehow I found a way to transact to that and then bought some cats and then it's just messing around. I didn't make money from them, but it was just kind of cool to, you know, try and do something. Yeah, no, that's super cool. And so, and so where did you take your interest in crypto and NFTs? I mean, what did you make of it uh, at that point in time? Was it just purely experimental? And, you know, what was it that sort of drew you in further into ultimately leading to get into, uh, I think I sort of saw you get a board ape and a punk as well. Yeah. So at that point, I think NFTs were mostly art. Um, so it was more like one of ones or unique pieces. So actually I, 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 I did put money in and spend a bit of money into uh, an NFT that I, I do consider my first piece, which is by an artist called Visual Dom. Um, so he did a lot of kind of visuals and, and, and um, music video visuals for producers and DJs. So even in the Web2 space, I would be using these kind of visuals for some of my music or some of my work to put on social media. And I saw that he was launching NFTs on, I think it was Maker's Place or Foundation. So I was like, okay, I've, I've been using this guy's stuff for a while. He's been putting it out there for free. Let me go support him and kind of say thank you. And, and I want to own, you know, a piece of his work. So I actually bought it and split it with my brother for his birthday. So I gave it to him as an NFT. I was like, okay, this is 50-50 for us. Um, I actually bought one of those frames where you could get a video on a loop. And I, I got two frames made and, and one for me, one for him. So I, I kind of signified that as my first NFT that I was going to keep for, for forever. Nice. So you bought that, I remember Maker's Place as well. I had um a whole bunch of stuff that is going through there, which is kind of exciting at the same time. Cause I think that was when Nifty Gateway was there, was it Super Rare Foundation, all those ones that were starting to sort of pick up and a sync art was the other one that were people were sort of buying from. But at Maker's Place, I sort of found it really hard to find things, man. Just like trying to navigate through. But I, I bought a couple of pieces. Um uh I don't know if you heard of Jose Delbo. Um, he was the guy that drew all the, um, Superman Marvel comics back in the day okay. and hack some hack pieces on there as well. But, um, but yeah, I don't know if yeah, I haven't been going back to make his place for some time. But anyway, so, so like, okay, so you bought the, that NFT, um, you split it 50, 50 with your brother. It's pretty cool. And then what was, what, what next? Like, where did you, where did you start experimenting with NFTs and communities and the like, what did you make of it? I, yeah, so it wasn't until one of my other mates told me, hey, there are these NFTs minting. I think this one was called the Secret Society of Wales. So it's like it's totally nondescript kind of 10K PFP collection, which at that time was super new, right? Like, I think Bored Apes had launched, um, but I was totally, you know, out of the loop. I just kind of heard about it when they were at like 
28th or 30th. But yeah, this Secret Society of Wales, okay, they're like 0.00 whatever to mint. So I was like, okay, fuck it, I'll munch, mint a bunch. And then I, I they revealed and I got like a gold one. And I'm like, okay, this kind of looks rare. So then the rarity rankings came out and it turns out this was like number 12, right, in the collection. And I was like, okay, shit, I got something pretty rare. And I saw the other ones being listed for like 4 ETH, 3 ETH, something like that. And I was like, shit, I'm actually going to make some money off this. So yeah, I think that's when it kind of clicked in me that, hey, any kind of punter can throw in a couple bucks and try their luck into something. And this mechanism will actually, you know, somehow, yeah, it'll make you some gains. So that was my first kind of taste of it. And I think I got hooked after that into this whole this whole mechanism, this whole space, rarity, into the rabbit hole. Do you think it was more, I guess, the, the, the money that sort of drew you in, that made you interested, as opposed to, I guess, the tech and all the other things that sort of came on the back of that? Mostly, mostly the gains? I, I think that's definitely what attracted me at first. But, you know, after learning a bit more about uh, actually the application here and the use case, right, and what can actually be done with this technology, uh, of course, you know, the first step into any kind of new technology will always be super attractive and, you know, big gains, big returns, big ROI. I think we saw that in DeFi summer as well. But um, yeah, once that kind of settles and then you're left with, you know, the real projects that are trying to build have, have real kind of experience and utility and, and you know, grow the long-term holder base, that's when things start to get interesting. Yeah, for sure. Maybe uh, you can, maybe might be a good, opportunity to talk about Mochaverse uh, now that you're sort of starting to talk about NFTs and teams, utility, and what you sort of see. Maybe just start off simply, you know, what is Mochaverse and what was the inspiration behind it? Sure. Yeah. So um, our, our uh, chairman and CEO, Yatsu of Animoca Brands, always wanted to do a membership collection. Um, this was always intended kind of for our internal portfolio. Um, so he wanted to do like a giveaway to, okay, all the staff, all the portfolio companies, all, all our investors, investees. So it became a project. And, and you know, I was leading up that, that project uh, as long as some of the other members in the project management team. Okay, how do we execute this? And what kind of artwork should it be? What kind of style should it be? What's a collection size? What's the supply? You know, what, what are kind of the gamified mechanics of this? So it really grew from that. And, and as we started to solidify some of these things and start to open it up to the community and, and tell people about it, there was so much interest and hype in it. And so we, we kind of had to shift halfway and go, okay, the community really want this. How do we open up more allocation for community members and the public as well? So that's when we kind of involved, okay, maybe there's kind of a, a randomization mechanic where if you held any of Animoca Brands tokens or NFTs, you get like a realm ticket. And this realm ticket has a chance that you'll get allow listed onto the Mochaverse Mint. Um, so there were different ways that we we're bringing people in from the public, but we didn't, at the same time, we didn't want a huge collection, which, you know, would dilute some of that value. And uh, I mean, Animoca is really well known here and Yatsu is really well known here in, in Hong Kong and obviously within the Web3 space. But for those that um, aren't familiar with Animoca, could you just um, describe what Animoca is? Sure. So yeah, Animoca Brands is comprises of you know, 400 portfolio companies. We uh, operate you know, brands you might have heard of like the Sandbox, Axie Infinity. You know, we have stakes in OpenSea. So we're, we're, we're an operator as well as an investor. Um, so we like to diversify our, our portfolio within the whole Web3 space, whether that's games, infrastructure, platforms, you know, different chains. So that, that's kind of our business. But Animoca started actually from a gaming company. So in the early 2010s, Animoca was a mobile game developer. So they had a lot of games on the iOS, Apple Store, and Google Play Stores. And it was a pretty lucrative business. I think Yat and the team managed to get on a lot of the top 10 lists, you know, with a lot of IAP and ad revenues bumping in. But uh, I think at one point, Apple decided to just pull all of Animoca's games off the app stores. 
you know, which led to a huge headache for Yat overnight. And kind of sparked this with him that, hey, if you're a centralized powerhouse and you decide to, you know, turn off the tap, then that can happen. And that's when kind of smaller actors or independent companies get get on the on the on the end of this, you know, that they get affected. So this is what really led Yat down the path of decentralization and you know digital asset ownership. So that that's kind of the core ethos of Animal Compliance. Yeah. That's uh, huge and super exciting story um, about how Animoca sort of started as well. And I think it was listed in Australia for a while. Now I think it's gone, been delisted. But but fundamentally, you've got 400 portfolio entities. And I know it's almost like a, a Web3 quasi VC because I feel like a lot of private investors, high net worth individuals, companies want to get access to Web3 investments, but they don't have a vehicle to invest in. And I think Animoca is probably one of the the very few that gives them that kind of exposure. Uh, and I know they've got um, exposure for you, uh, for Uger assets as well and deeply involved in the other side and all those bits and pieces. So you guys must be super busy. But, uh, but just going back to Mochaverse, if I understand it correctly as well, if you know, you've got 400 portfolio companies mixing from games, community type projects, Web3, various sort of Web3 projects, if, I, if I'm understanding Mochaverse properly, is it almost like a testing bed to um, secure or you know, a testing bed for community to secure, uh, uh, I guess, to test new products coming from your portfolio companies early on in the piece? Is that what it's used for? Or how are you sort of thinking about that? Yeah, that, that's a good way to look at it. Uh, I think Mochaverse is highly experimental. So we're really trying to look at interoperability and what that really means in terms of user experience. Um, so whether it's game activations or, you know, uh, testing out a new wallet, or giving access for holders to, you know, um, have access to new projects that are coming out, beta tests for games, or you know, some of the social campaigns that are going on. Bookaverse is sort of that conduit, and it also gives an opportunity for people outside of the group to participate. Say, if okay, I want to buy into a piece of Animoca or Mochaverse, I can pick up an NFT and I can immediately get access to you know some of those perks. Whether um, you know it's it's part of the so that we have four realms we have do good play together learn together and build together um, so those are kind of our four pillars for our experiences um, yeah so we work with all different partners whether they're in our group or outside of our group um, to unlock kind of access and and perks for holders nice I'm just looking at uh, some of the artwork did you um... Have much creative direction in in some of the artwork. Some of it's pretty uh, pretty wild, man. <laughs> totally, yeah. I think we we did go through a lot of concept artists to get the right kind of feel for a PFP. And having been in the space for a while, uh, I guess I had a good enough sense of what works and what doesn't work. So initially, you know, our art team came up with something quite quite beautiful but complex. And when you shrink it down to a thumbnail. It, it it tends not to work because there's too much going on and you might miss some of the detail. But with Mochaverse, I think it's simple enough and it's kind of memeable enough that it can be easily interpreted, right? Or, or memed or, you know, there's a lot of uh, room for creativity there. No, that's cool. So, so what's next for Mochaverse, do you think? Yeah, so quite a lot in the pipeline. Um, as I mentioned, those kind of four conduits of utility. We're actively working on each one, as well as we have some exciting kind of IP plays that are coming in. You know, we, we have an entity in Japan as well, Anamuka KK, and we work with a lot of IP owners who want to also explore the space and launch projects. So we've been talking to them about Mochaverse, you know, how this kind of launch model has been successful and how they can, you know, tap into the ecosystem to do different launches. So I can't reveal too much, but yeah, we, we have a lot of exciting kind of partnerships and collaborations in the works. Yeah, that's super cool. Well, uh, definitely keep an eye out for that, um, for sure. Maybe just one last question too. Like if, if you, because you know, a lot of these NFT projects, they're sort of coming in with different community sort of vibes, right? You can sort of distinguish punks and apes and all that kind of stuff. Mochaverse, it feels like you've got 
a mixture of portfolio companies, internal sort of Animoca, you know, related sort of parties, people, friends and family, and I guess an element of some of the other communities. Because I remember how you guys went about dropping those tickets to you know, board apes and moonbirds and all that type of stuff for a potential sort of whitelist spot. How are you sort of thinking through, I guess, the community vibe and the demographic and then matching it up with, you know, you've got 400 different portfolio companies and all these different projects. Are you going for a specific niche of projects that would be like a good sort of testing bed for Mochaverse? Yeah. So we were super careful in our allocation, right? So we spent a lot, a lot of time tweaking the eligibility criteria for the Mint and, you know, which partner projects are really in our ecosystem that we want to grow and foster with as well. Because to give you an example of, you know, one of the events we ran in New York was our portfolio day. And, you know, we had representatives from, you know, a lot of our portfolio companies show up. It was full house. It was a private event, but you could see there the real value of the Anamoka ecosystem come together because it's, it's really about the networking and the energy in the room. And I'd, I'd get a lot of good feedback from a lot of the participants who are usually like CEOs of portfolio companies or, you know, the management level, but they're all talking to each other and they're all finding synergies with each other. So it's usually super hard to do that unless you're in a really, really good networking event where, okay, everyone I talk to seems to be providing a lot of value to my own business, right? And what I'm trying to promote and grow. But you can really see that kind of electric vibe in the air at the event. And I think that's what we're trying to do with Mochaverse as well, um, just to create this really, really strong community of like-minded builders and connectors and dreamers in the space who are looking to make Web3 um, happen together. So this is kind of the ethos we're, we're running. Uh, super cool, man. I, um, I was fortunate enough to uh, head to the Animoca event in New York City last year, I think. Zaf, uh, are you familiar with Zaf? You know, I'm, sh I'm sure you know Zaf quite well. So yeah, yeah she she yeah. invited me to come down and um, hang out there. But it was, you know, really. I mean, you come back to your point. I think it was really nice to sort of connect with a whole bunch of like-minded people in the space doing very very different things. And the vibe was pretty um, pretty exciting, uh, especially in the backdrop of New York. But but also it just reminds me as well. I think I, I did get invited to the um, the sandbox event afters as well. And uh, I think that was a pretty crazy party last year. Were you there last year? I wasn't there last year, but uh, Aoki played again this year, so it was also crazy. Oh, Aoki played again. Okay, so yeah, so Aoki, I, Aoki, I didn't miss the Aoki one, but um, I think it was Tiesto that was playing last year. Um, so that was that okay. was pretty nuts. So um, so it was good fun. But uh, uh, this is exciting, man. So um, well, congratulations on I guess the the launch of Mochaverse and and all the things that you're sort of doing there. I'm looking forward to um, sort of seeing where you take it next. And then, and then, so let's let's switch back a little bit then to I guess your your journey into CryptoPunks. So maybe you know share share that story with us. Like, how did you find out about CryptoPunks, and how did you find your way into getting your first punk? Yeah, so I I, I think punks were probably the first project that I knew about when I jumped into the space, and they were sort of my target. You know, that was going to be my milestone getting a punk. I bought an ape first. So through some of the DGen flips in DeFi Summer, I managed to work my way up to get an ape. And I actually flipped my first ape. So I did pretty well in that trade and then you know, got enough ETH. Somehow I managed to get lucky and jump on the mint for mutants. Um, so I woke up one Sunday and I saw on the Discord, mutants are now minting. I was like, okay, I got to get all the ETH I can and just dump all it into the mint. I remember that mint. That was crazy. How much? How much did you end up minting for? Because it was it wasn't a Dutch. Was it a Dutch auction? Yeah, I think it was the Dutch auction, and I ended up yeah. throwing in about uh, just under three ETH per mutant. So I ended up getting three. Nice. Yeah, I, I think I uh, I think I, I spent about I don't know five or six ETH on secondary just aping them, and then they I think a couple of weeks later they went down to like two. So I was <laughs> crying a little bit, but, uh, but anyway, yeah, that was a, that was a crazy time. Okay, so then you flipped you flipped your way up. Um, during that sort of crazy, crazy time, and you bought yourself some apes and some mutants. Um, and then what was next? Yeah, then I think during that time, you had so many projects come out every day. And I remember it was just crazy. There were like 20, 30 projects. You would get discords like NFT calendar, which was just telling you what's minting. And then 
you know, you just connect your wallet, you throw money in and you don't really think about it and think everything would go up as well. Right. So you would just flip and you would not sleep for weeks or months. So it was a really crazy time, but that, that was a really good way to kind of learn about the culture and projects and things like that. So yeah, I always thought, okay, the apes discord is, is pretty cool, but it's quite quiet actually. Um, not, not a lot of people talk in there or it's not that active, but I was also in cybercoms. Um, so they were, they had a really good community. You know, a lot of them were like devs or builders and um, super active and a lot of kind of alpha. So I think at that time, everyone was trying to get into this secret discord group called Wall Street Kongs. And if you had a baby Kong or a, an adult Kong, you would be able to chat in there and follow kind of their group vibes. Did you have a Gen Kong or uh, a baby? I had a baby, but I was trying to work my way up to a Gen Kong because at that time they were emitting their token, which is called Banana. And I think at peak, they were going for like $20 per banana. Yeah, that's right. I remember that time. It was crazy. I think they were yielding a thousand bucks a day, um, these bananas. that Basically, you'd buy more baby Kongs with them, right? Or breed more baby Kongs, which had a floor of like, I think at one stage, 15 ETH or so. Yeah, yeah totally. But, uh, but yeah, I remember, I remember that chat as well, because I did have a baby Kong and in Wall Street Kongs was where all the alpha DGENs were at. Um, and I think, uh, who were the big names? I think it was Elio Trades was in there. And yeah, Elio, Alex, yeah, Alex Becker, you had Coco, all those guys. I just pumped everything, right? Like shill and pump everything. It was insane. Yeah. Yeah, it was a crazy time. Um, but I think, yeah, I was kind of working my way up towards, okay. I'm going to do this for a good couple of months. Then once I get enough to get a punk, then I think I'm settled. And um, yeah, that, that was kind of what happened. I just kind of, you know, worked my way up and, and um, I kept looking at punks on the floor and trying to catch that. And then eventually, I think about a year later, 2021 May or so, then I, I managed to secure my first punk. Is a handsome one. But let me ask you something before we get into trait selection. What was it about punk set? That gave you the desire to flip up to one like of all the nfts that were sort of out there what was it that sort of gave you that drive sure so i think yeah firstly just the historical significance of punks and the provenance that they're kind of the og collection and the yeah the the, the community to be and, and the one that symbolizes you know the space the most i feel because I'm, I'm in the apes and Although I think they do some really cool stuff with apes, like the commercial side of it, where you can use the IP, you know, to to your own brand, to your own thing. But I think that never really resonated with me as much. Um, whereas the kind of whole punk mentality of, yeah, just do things first and ask forgiveness later kind of mentality, I, I think resonated with me a little bit more. And so, yeah, that that was always my goal to become a punk. Yeah, nice. And and then talk to us about, you know, Punk 105.9. How were you sort of thinking through Punk selection at the time? Yeah, so this definitely was was not a floor punk at the time, I remember. I remember looking at the shades. I think the Discord logo Punk also had big shades. So there are these kind of purple gradient, you know, synth wave, retro wave shades. And I thought, okay, if I get a Punk, I'll probably want one of those. Then I saw this one, and it also had the frumpy hair trait, which um, when my hair grows out in real life, it kind of looks like that. <laughs> so I thought, okay, this is me. <laughs> the only thing I'm missing probably is the earring, uh, which I probably won't get. But yeah, this this pretty much embodied my my actual face. <laughs> no, super super cool. I, I think the big shades are definitely uh, super iconic across the collection. Uh, my my first punk was actually a uh, big shades one too, so they definitely sort of pop out. Um, but the the, the frumpy hair, I, I don't know, man. Like it, um, it looks really funny. Like it's uh, it almost looks like looks like a quasi helmet, <laughs> right? That you got it going on, like a like a superhero or something. They almost look but, too um, sensible to be a punk, but they're still yeah. a punk. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, that's cool. And and if money wasn't an issue for you, what punk would you would you pick? Yeah, so. I, I've always been drawn to apes or aliens, um, but those are probably quite out of my price range. But probably one of those uh, would be pretty cool. 
I also really like the hoodies. Um, so, you know, when I went to get some of the other collections, like recently was, was playing around with Ordinal Punks, the Bitcoin Punks, I, I did pick up a hoodie over there. So yeah, I like the hoodies as well. Yeah, nice. I think a, a hoodie ape would be an absolute grail for sure. Um, I think one just sold early this year. Super nice. Oh man. And then, so like, what about right now? Like besides uh, the crazy meme coin season that's going on, um, are you net adding to your NFT collection or selling? Like how are you sort of thinking through that? Yeah, so I, I do still keep accumulating. I think this is a really good time to be buying because everything is kind of low. I did pick up a Pudgy after actually going to the Pudgy event in New York. And it was probably, uh, apart from the Animoca event, it was probably one of the best vibes um, of an event that I personally felt. So everyone in there was super friendly. The team put a lot of effort into you know, the venue, the visuals, you know, the, the kind of activities and games and things there. What's going on in the, the Pudgy ecosystem? Uh, to be honest with you, I haven't, I haven't sort of tuned into the things that they're sort of doing. It seems like they've sort of raised some capital and revamping the whole brand and doing a whole bunch of things. So what, sort of, uh, what sort of exciting things are they working on? Yeah, so after, you know, Luca Nets took over as uh, the new kind of guy in charge, I think they've really revamped the whole brand into mindfulness and wellness kind of focus. And... Yeah, I think it's really given the, the the project a whole new life and people are really buying into it and, and really enjoying kind of some of the messages and the experiences that they're doing. And I think it all comes down to an important kind of figurehead with projects, um, which is really important. So, for example, with like Vgot and Utes, you have Frank. With Pudgy, you have um, Luca. And yeah, it's, it's it's like, hey, this is the guy that's representing your whole brand and your whole collection and community. So yeah, people really do gravitate towards a kind of central figure. Yeah, cool. Oh, I'll have a, a little bit of a closer look at Pudgies. Are you, are, you, are you collecting any art or anything or you, you mostly collect PFPs? Yeah, I, I do look at art here and there. Uh, I've In this dip, I've, I've been toying with a Fedenza, um, but <laughs> it's uh it's also a bit pricey but i mean it's cheap for what it was a year ago but yeah still still trying to find the right one i recently yesterday i bought a scape a punk scape so yep. i originally minted them little? yeah i i originally minted them back back when they came out but then yeah i always wanted to get back in and and buy a nice one so i think i bought one with a purple sun um to match the big shades Super cool. I actually met him in New York last year uh, and had him on the podcast uh, probably a few months ago now. Super, super down to earth, nice guy. And he, it seems like he just, he's, his career has just taken on another level, right? Because he's been in the back end with um, the, uh, what's that project with um, O'Pepin? Oh, okay. okay. Well, Jack Butcher. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So huge, huge one. But he's, he's, he's been on the back end of that, that sort of project with um, Jack Butcher. Yeah, so uh, good to know another punk's doing some exciting things. I actually had a really good experience getting my Scape because then I checked my wallet and then I discovered Scape extensions. So I thought that was really cool where you have an NFT that follows your NFT. Um, so I didn't know what it was. I clicked into it and it's got a soundtrack to it and yeah. it follows the Scape. So when you buy the Scape, the Scape extension automatically transfers with it. So that was a surprise to me. Ah, uh, that's cool. I, I I didn't realize that. I need to I need to have a look at that. Uh, that's cool. And then if you look back across your NFT career to date, um, are there sort of any big wins or losses worth mentioning? Uh, probably definitely more losses. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of fat fingers. You know, I was trying to ape into stuff and then paid like ten x what I was supposed to. <laughs> But yeah, some some wins. I had some wins. Um, probably one of them was getting in Azuki early. So I remember buying those for maybe like four ETH and they pumped up to like 14, 15 in the first run up. Probably flipping my, my first ape. I think I bought it for 40 something and sold it for like 60. So during that time, you know, the market was a, uh, a bit more active, just that there was so much new money coming in and retail as well. But yeah, I think definitely I, I see my whole kind of journey as, as being 
really good wins of of being able to collect different kind of projects and collections and um, I'm quite happy with kind of where my portfolio is today with with the art and cool profile pictures that I've yeah played. nice don't don't feel so bad I think everybody is uh has probably done a lot worse than than what you have than that and I'm speaking for myself uh, on that one um and if you were to look across, I guess, the punk community, do you have a favorite punk personality that comes to mind? I do, yeah. Um, so you had him on your show, Frank, Frank NFT. Uh, so he's a really uh, yeah? cool character. Okay. I met him in London, or NFT London last year. And before that, we actually did a little project together. Um, so me and Frank and FCC View and V300. Um, I don't know if you know... If you remember Tiny Dinos, it was this PFP project that came out across different chains. And we wanted to do a derivative of that. So with derivatives back in the day, you had to do them pretty quickly. Otherwise, someone else would do it. So we had like, we launched this in like two or three days after Tiny Dinos launched. We launched Tiny Baby Dinos. So they were just kind of shrunken (laughs) versions of Tiny Dinos because we thought, Okay, tiny dinos, they're pretty cute pixel dinosaurs, but they're not actually that tiny. They fill up the screen quite a bit, so we just shrunk them and we did a free mint. When did, when did you do this? I'll, I'll, yeah, let, let's, um, I'll drop you some after, after this call. <laughs> but uh, but um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I met Frank through this project and of course, you know, um, having interacted with him and, and the V1 Punk community, I'm also, you know, quite active in that community as well. Ah, interesting. Maybe we can get onto that as well. But you know, Frank, Frank's a Frank's a super cool dude. Um, super interesting and uh, very talented. I mean, I I don't think I've met anybody that. I mean, he's an artist. He's an aerospace engineer, and he's a smart contract dev as well, right? <laughs> Which is pretty amazing. He just does this stuff on his side. So, um, super whiz. Um, why don't we get onto that then? So, um, so so Frank NFT is your favorite punk. Um, you've done some cool, pretty cool stuff with him. Maybe I'll just ask you this, this question before we get into the other ones. Um, how, how would you describe punk culture for you at the moment? Sure. Yeah, I think punk culture has always been, as I, as I said before, like kind of no bullshit, just doing what we want to do and getting it out there. Um, so I see a lot of that in, in the sense that there's actually a lot of creativity and a lot of community building um, behind the scenes. We may not be as as loud as apes or other communities and as public, but there definitely is a super strong community of punks. Yep. Love it. No bullshit. I think uh I think I'm gonna love quoting that one. And then let's get on the topic of V1 punks, because it's uh it's a topic that, you know, we talk quite extensively here on Punkcast as well. But you you said that you're um you're a V one punk holder and that's how you met Frank. Um I mean, what's your sort of take on V one? Yeah. Definitely a super interesting backstory, right? And I think maybe for your listeners who want to dive deeper into the details, they can listen to Emba or Frank's uh, interview and, and Punkcast. But yeah, I definitely think the fact that they are the original tokens, right, um, that were uh, originally minted by Larva Labs and put out there, just that it's in a wrapper by Frank, it doesn't mean that they're not CryptoPunks. So I, I think that history and provenance is important and it's immutable and it's on chain and that will always be part of CryptoPunk history. So I'm definitely a big believer of the project and um, having spoken to Frank and Cyborg and Nuno and some of the guys out in London when I met them at the meetup, yeah, I'm, I'm really supportive of, of the project and them trying to get the, 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 the story out there. What what do you think would be successful for V1 punks going forward? Yeah, I think it's more about awareness. And I, I don't necessarily think that V1 will get that recognition from, you know, Yuga Labs, nor Christie's, nor any of the auction houses. But I think for people who are in the know, it'll matter. For your on-chain archaeologists who are looking at this stuff and who are looking at what came first, that that will really matter and that V1s will always kind of have their place in the history of NFTs. Yeah, absolutely. 
No, it's, it is a really fascinating part of uh, punk history for sure. And um, yeah, I think, I think there's not a lot you can do other than just to, you know, uh, get the story out there and educate people. I, I think that was the other thing too, uh, in general, I think I said it to Hember as well. I think most people get turned off by just some of the engagement from the V1 community on the outside. And I think it just turns people off because it's almost, you know, a little bit combative, but if we came from it from a perspective of being purely objective, fact-based, uh, and let people decide where they want to go, and obviously the blockchain doesn't lie, it's a really fascinating story. And I think they'll have their place and, and, and definitely cruise in value. Um, and I think that's probably the best uh, situation for V1 punks for sure. And, and, you, and you mentioned you, you, you claimed uh, or you inscribed some BTC ordinal punks. Um, what's your take on, on the ordinals? So I, I didn't end up inscribing them, but I, I did buy OTC um, before some of the marketplaces were up. So I was in a Discord and I remember having to open a chat with one of the mods and the other seller to look, look through their Excel, Google Forms, and you know, pick a punk in the price and then kind of send it to the escrow as the mod and get my Bitcoin punks through a Sparrow wallet, right? So it, it was really, I guess, I never experienced the early days of claiming punks, but I imagine that's probably what it felt like, that it was super raw. You know, you have to go through this super unfriendly UI UX to get what you wanted. But yeah, it was a really cool experience. I, I'm, I'm not sure about how popular NFTs will be on Bitcoin. But I think it's still cool to own, you know, an early part of some of those inscriptions. Again, you know, kind of the provenance and the historical significance of some of these pieces will be interesting. I guess it's, you know, only time will tell. What was that process like? I mean, was it put in, literally go into a Google Sheet, highlight which one you wanted? Did you was it a trustless transaction or was it just like a trust me deal? Like you had to send your money to somebody or send your Bitcoin to somebody and then just trust that they would actually so, yeah, these sellers would have Google Sheets that they put together of punks they were selling and the numbers and the inscription addresses and then the price. So if you wanted to buy some, you would hit them up and say, hey, I want to buy these. Are they still available? Okay, then you find one of the mods in the Bitcoin Punks Discord and the mod, the mod would be the escrow in between and they would take like a 10 20 percent cut um so you would send your ethereum to the mod and then the seller would send the bitcoin punks to your bitcoin wallet and then the mod would <laughs> release the money <laughs> so it's it kind of crazy but it, it worked out that was crazy that is crazy um that's cool uh and then what, what are your thoughts and feelings about yuga's acquisition of the punks ip i think it was definitely huge when that news came out and uh, I think firstly, yeah, it was a big win for the V1 guys where they had their DMCA drop. But I, I always kind of knew that Yuga wouldn't do too much on punks and they would kind of honor and leave it alone, uh, which I think so far they've done. So they haven't really dabbled too much or commercialized it too much because I, th I think at the end of the day, they do understand the community aspect of it, which is punks are punks. and. Yeah, that, that's kind of their nature. Whereas you do see, you know, cool things happening with Nibits, with some of the other, you know, IP that you are working with. So for for my work at Animoca, I'm also actually working with Yuga. So we're working on the Legends of the Mara game, um, which we're helping them build out. Um, so it's been really interesting to see, you know, the kind of creativity from their team and really learn from that as well which they're super focused. They know exactly what they want. Um, and we're helping them achieve that mission. Can you share a little bit more info on the, the Myras? Any alpha you could drop or share? <laughs> Unfortunately not. <laughs> but uh, I think they've actually put a lot out there already. Like some of the okay. mechanics with the Coda, the Coda Mara, you know, that decoupling that happened. And also... Environmental tears. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It. it yeah. It um gets a little bit complex, right? Because then, but there's so many permutations of how many how many things you can sort of play with here, which which is kind of fun too, right? 
I think there's opportunity to find undiscovered value if you're willing to put in some time. For sure. Yeah, they they definitely have this vision. And this is just one of the aspects of kind of the other side universe, right? But they definitely have a grand vision for the whole ecosystem. And it's really exciting to see them execute and, and be able to deliver as well. Really, really great to work with them. You know, something exciting. Oh man, super, super exciting. Yeah, we'll definitely have to keep a, keep a closer eye on it. But uh, DJ, this was um, a super fun conversation. I think one, one last question before we sort of close off. If you could pass on a message to the next owner of your punk, 1059, what would you like to say to him? Yeah, this is an interesting question. I would like to say that this punk was once the CEO of CryptoPunks. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been toying with, um, if people don't know, the, the cigarette token project. And, um, you know, there's an NFT which declares you the CEO of CryptoPunks. And by getting that, you have to take over from the last CEO with the SIG token, so cigarette token. Which number were you? Because I came in at number seven as the CEO. Were you like super early on then? I haven't taken over yet, but I'm looking to dethrone the currency. Okay, please do. Please do. Uh, okay. Okay, so there's a message. Yeah, this is going to be the CEO of CryptoPunks. It's uh, extra alpha there for you uh, if you want to front run. But man, yeah, thanks so much for your time. Uh, I know you must be super busy, but um, I guess, you know, uh, any final closing comments and, uh, you know, we can sort of people find you. Sure. Yeah, I'm DJ Choi on um, all platforms. So Instagram, Twitter, Spotify. Um, you can check out some of my work on there as well. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to, yeah, send, send, send love your way, Maxwell. And thanks for having me on the podcast. I've been listening to a lot of the interviews that you've done and, um, you know, super interesting conversations and really a joy to learn about all these different journeys and, and backstories of punk. So thanks for, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, let's, um, let's try and maybe hook up at a Soa House brunch on Sunday. I'll get, uh, I'll get, the, I'll get the guys to come down. <laughs> I was actually going to check out the Beef Wellington tonight, but my, my friends bailed. But uh, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, maybe next time. It's good. You, you need to come down for sure. Um, but, uh, but mate, thanks again for uh, your time. And guys, that wraps up another episode of Punkcast. We'll be back next week with another punk. Bye for now. <laughs>